Welcome to In the Fig of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast with me, Colin Lambert, Manager of PL. Um, before we get to this week's guest, and um, there is kind of a link with actually one of the items I want to cover in that was the week that was. Um, just to kind of link to my columns recently around the primary venues and how you know their their volumes have been impacted, possibly by the COVID nineteen um, outbreak and people working from home. One aspect that we did come up with: so a friend got in contact and said, you know, is it the fact that the manual traders who you know the, the primary venues rely upon a lot for their um, business don't have their keypads with them? Apparently, there's been a bit of a problem getting keypads out to uh, all the different locations and therefore they're back on the mouse and therefore the the aggregator is just as handy as maybe the uh, the matching or um, market screen so i sort of put that one into a follow-up on thursday and somebody else got in contact with me um who reminded me of something that from quite a while back the 2190 rule and based on the 2190 rule um it says it takes 21 days to build a habit and it takes 90 to make that into a personal, a permanent lifestyle change. So effectively, after 90 days, whatever you've been doing for that time, you're going to do, presumably, for the rest of uh, the rest of your time. We've been working from home for 100 days now by the time most people listen to this. So that maybe is something of interest um, and possibly concern to those venues. Um what I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, from that was the week that was, um, <clears throat> we seem to have had a bit of a meltdown on data releases. Um, so on Thursday in New Zealand, um, the GDP data came out, and this is just something that happens. It's not wishing to bash anybody. Everybody makes mistakes, yours truly especially. But um, Reuters put out a headline 12 minutes ahead of the release showing New Zealand GDP had gone up. Um, so the market bounced only 25 to 30 points, which I thought was quite interesting. thought it would have been a bit more than that on, on such a surprise number. Um, then, of course, at the time, the real number came out and it was down 1.6%. So the market pretty much gave up all of its gains and then some. Um, now, first of all, I've got to look at it and think to myself, well, it's interesting that... Um, the market kind of believed it. And maybe that's why there was a, a a minor reaction to it, because it was so obviously wrong. I don't think anyone expects anyone's GDP in the major economies to go up for some time yet. Um, so maybe we were lucky that it was obviously wrong. The, <laughs> the thing that amused me, I have to say, is um, talking to a couple of people um, in the market and uh, apparently a lot of dealers, you know, obviously people get upset about this stuff quite rightly. These these people have a, an obligation um, to accuracy and, and making sure systems are working perfectly. Um, but what actually uh, amused me was how everybody um, appeared to get on the phone to their local refinitive office and start handing out um, brick bats and kickings to members of refinitive. Um, as of what, 18 months ago, maybe. They're separate companies. Reuters no longer owns Refinitiv. Um, and obviously next year it'll be a lot different with LSE. So, um, yeah, it was uh, obviously I feel for the, the victims in terms of like, you know, they got some wrong data. But you might want to think of, you know, just when you're thinking about people making errors, you might want to consider the error you made in ringing the wrong company to complain about the original error. Anyway, that was followed up 
um, a few hours later by um, a lot of ambiguity and confusion over a Bloomberg headline about the Norge Bank's um, future rate pass. Now, um, a friend got in touch to talk about this with me and said, look, you know, you look at the data and you look at what Norge Bank say and their rate pass for the next three years is zero. There, there, there is no, there, there's no, diverge, no divergence at all. Um, whereas the headline suggested that they would be hiking rates by 0.3%. Now, um, that's the future rate path, of course. So obviously, again, you know, you're a Noki, everyone buys into the Noki, you think they're going to raise rates. And a few minutes later, they're going, oh, hang on a second, this is actually not right. So they um, bought it all back again, obviously. So we're having these sort of moves on these errors. Now, as I say, anyone can make an error. What is interesting to me, of course, is that is in this environment where people, journalists are relying upon websites now in a lot of countries to get their data releases. The traditional lockdown whereby journalists will be locked in a room for an hour, um, given the data so they could actually do some proper analysis. They could ensure that everything is correct. And then lines are opened at, you know, for instance, 8.30 a.m. Washington um, for the non-farm payrolls, for the employment report. Now, this has been stopped for various reasons. I've, I've written about it before in a column, but it's been stopped for various reasons. But it does make you wonder that the more people rush and the more there's competition, the more likely we are to have these errors. And so maybe we need to reconsider the whole idea around the lockdown and how data is released because we will have these errors. I mean, I have no knowledge of this whatsoever, um, what happened in terms of like the Reuters thing. But you look at what happened with Reuters and probably they were doing a test of the system. And if you do a test of the system, you generally put out something that is clearly wrong because that way people will second guess there will not be the big rush to the markets. Um, The problem with the Bloomberg thing was it was, obviously credible um so maybe what we need to do is just think about the uh, the release of these data points um do we need to actually sort of take journalists back into our trust um the problem as i understand it is that some market participants are complaining that um, some get a, an advantage um because you know they're paying for these uh new services you could argue that someone who is paying for a microwave tower um, is buying the right to be a nanosecond quicker than somebody else. So, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So something to keep an eye on, I think. And from there, we'll sort of, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. So I'll be back in just a second with uh, this week's guest. And actually, we are talking data, um, market analysis, and a new way of delivering content. Did you know that if you sign up before July 1st, you can subscribe to Profit and Loss for just £130 sterling for a whole 12 months? That's a huge 30% discount on your regular subscription rate. Or pay just £230 for two years. Go to www.profit-loss.com plans and sign up today. Or email info at profit-loss.com for more information to ensure that you never miss out on the latest FX news. So I'm joined by uh, Roland Parks, CEO and co-founder of Lime Glass, a, um, a company, a fintech company bringing new ideas to the delivery of research, I guess. Um, Roland, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Can you talk in terms of like, so you know, I kind of look at you know, third party research. There was a boom of it, I guess, in the 90s when you, know, you, you were a self, 
were a pioneer in that in that time. Um, why is lime glass different? I mean, how's it going to work? <laughs> That's a great question. Great start. Our third-party research. Those were the days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, basically, when we were when we were at Forecast um, selling third-party research into ironically into banks because banks were basically giving it free to the to buy side so our model was to sell to the um, to the to the sell side but, yeah we were very conscious they had maybe 10 times more analysts than we did and certainly paying them 10 times as much than we did and you know i'd go in there and say look what we do is very very short term and they'd soon say roland you know um don't worry i don't have time to read all the analysis that's being you know, written internally. If I'm lucky if I read the first page of um, uh, the, the 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 email I get every morning. You know, before it all kicks yeah. off. Um, so really, what you're doing with intraday analysis is is useful. But when we finally sold the company, I suddenly said to myself, you know, there's an awful lot of value that's just going being missed. Um, you know, all this research that's basically being pumped out every day by everyone, but is not necessarily hitting. Uh, the wider audience or all the audience it's obviously that it could do. so the i got together with um simon gregory my co-founder who's ex-cto of forecast and he'd left and, they, and i said look how great would it be if we could turn all this unstructured data all this all this research into meaningful bite-sized um we call it they're called atoms we sort of decided to, to atomize these documents into their core components and, and we realized that a paragraph was really important i don't know if you want to rabbit on at, the, at this level but but this yeah. is essentially what we feel is we feel with you know if there's a document talking about u.s house prices or something or, or u.s gdp um or it's talking about the u.s and the 12th paragraph is talking about um gdp or house prices then what you want is if you're looking for information like that you want that particular paragraph but that paragraph has to be in context it has to, if it doesn't mention US and just says GDP, it's no good to man or beast. So you have to work out the context around. So if you're looking for, I don't know, Malaysian monetary policy or something, you know, find out what's happening in Bank Nagar and all the rest of it, then how are you going to do that in the mass of information? You're going to search for documents from Malaysia. You're going to go into each one individually and find something to do with monetary policy if you're lucky. Whereas we took it slightly differently. So what if we could use every paragraph, you know, like these atoms, and actually tag the paragraph with Malaysian monetary policy so that when you're searching for Malaysian monetary policy or Malaysian COVID or whatever, you actually could surface up just the key paragraphs. So how do you decide what are the key paragraphs? We tag everything. So every paragraph that comes in. So essentially, we're indexing all the data that comes in. So one paragraph might end up with, you know, 15, 16, right. what we call smart tags. And is that done by you or by machine? Uh, luckily by machine. What we have <laughs> is a team of, but it's a good question because actually it's not just machines in the sense that what we have is built up, a, we build up this lexicon, a taxonomy. It's a, it's a, you know, a lexicon of synonyms. So if you're talking about um, trade war, right, there's all sorts of words, you know, if you do a search controller for trade war, you'll probably miss trade tension or trade dispute or trade whatever. We have about 50 synonyms for that one word. And then, um, so what, what we do is we have a team of researchers who basically 
are putting this lexicon together by as a as a documents come in any new word that the computer can't understand you know um for example covid19 when it first came out yeah uh, or coronavirus because it was actually it came out with china virus first and and the computer said i oh, was china virus you know Mm. Um, and we would then pick that out. And then as the words came through COVID-19 um, and all coronavirus and all the rest, you build up this synonym bank so that next time it's learnt it. But the most important thing is not just having the synonyms, but is having a relationship between COVID and diseases so that when you hit on diseases, you also get SARS and MERS and so on and so forth. Yeah. So... Therefore, so I mean, so, so effectively, you're scraping the documents um, that you're receiving. Where are they coming in from? So we're working with J.P. Morgan and Oxford Economics. Um, in these early days, we did two or three years of R and D, and what we did is we want to be we're terribly user driven. So we wanted one big sales side, one big independent economic provider to feed into, and and basically we. Essentially, we receive their their research, and we enhance it by um, you know indexing and tagging this at a very granular level, and then we allow we give this back to them, and they can then do what they like with it. To be honest, they can. It's all about, I think, getting the right information to the right people, but also you're getting statistics from all this because every time we tag something, we tag the amount of words on this theme, if you want. Yeah. So you can then build up a metrics or even a heat map of what's being written about in the last week or overnight compared to the norm. You can do it as trending and so on and so forth. Because, I mean, yeah, that's the sort of thing that, get, that, that sounds interesting to me. You do get, you know, on multiple apps and websites is what's trending at the moment. You know, Twitter will probably be the obvious example. So, I mean, I guess there is that opportunity then to sort of deliver maybe um, – the that sort of little i guess edge in terms of like if there's a lot of mentions of a certain subject that people aren't, aren't really on the major news radars then this would highlight it is that fair to say absolutely yeah well there's two aspects of it isn't it when you when you talk about research for me there's the active and the passive you know the active meaning i've got a client calling me in on the rba and i'm trying to find out you know yeah. what, what's happening what do i tell him and therefore I'm searching for something. And the passive aspect, which I suppose is us getting emails, everyone's basically essentially using emails, um, you know, for a lot of this research and the folders and the automatic rules and so on and so forth, where you're just passively getting it. So the, the idea that you can thematically group information and set your own, maybe your own personalization to it. So you could actually say, I'm only interested in dollar yen, and what we're talking about, Malaysia, you know, in Malaysia, mm. um, you know, um, uh, Bank Nagara or Malaysian COVID or whatever yeah. it might be. So like you subscribe to different themes. Yeah, or you just set them and you change them as yeah. you go. I mean, I, in, in, let's look at it, you know, it, research for many years has been left aside because, well, it's more marketing, right? And you just... Not an awful lot of technology went into that side of things. It went into the front front desk and the trading and, and the algo side, if you want. Uh, and not a lot, not an awful lot of technology went into the um, sales desk, to be honest. Because I, yeah. you know, what you want in, on the sales desk as a sales manager, you really want your 
um, you know, team to be experts on everything. But they can't be, you know. But if you give them a tool that allows you to answer a question from a client and dive in immediately and give, you know, a very good answer backed up by research potentially that which they could then send on. You're really empowering that team. And I think nowadays, as you know, the the sales teams are cross-asset more and more. So you've got to be an expert on, you know, on on everything from rates to potential commodities. You got to, you got to sound like an expert. Is is what yeah. that I think. Rather than saying, you've got to be an expert. <laughs> Which, and let's face it, that's that's nine tenths of the journey, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, it's an important it's an important point you make because I mean, I remember my last trading job, you know, on the buy side, we would we would have pretty much a rainforest of um, research on the fax machine, um, and then you'd pick up a Reuters call, and literally this complete block of data would just be delivered or, or, or commentary would be delivered to you and yeah. you know to continue the the analogy you could never see the wood for the trees because it was, it was literally just too much of it i think it's interesting talking to banks over the last couple of years that with the advances of sort of analytics um and users um sort of um, patterns they've been able to work out that actually um you know they're very worthy and long research is rarely being read um, it's becoming yeah. more of an on-demand service. And I guess the thing is we live in a Twitter generation, isn't it, where people want that information, the critical information in, you know, I know you can't deliver in 140 uh, characters or less, but but in that sort of short format. So it kind of enables that, doesn't it? Well, interesting enough, and I think you're right. And the two things, we're going back to the the the, uh, the days of uh, the fax machines and, and the teleprinters and information load overload was the dustbin. You know, because you're yeah. ripped off and you're put in the bin. Now information overload is on the screens. But coming back to the 144 character thing, I think it's really interesting. And I hadn't really thought this through a bit. But what, when we surface our paragraphs, we're doing the same thing. But we're, we're taking the paragraph that has been written by the analysts. We're not changing it in any way. And it doesn't yeah. matter if the paragraph is 600 characters or 100 characters. At the end of the day, we're surf- making it as easy to find as a Twitter um, yeah, tweet. So, one of the one of the things that um, you're spruiking as as part of your service is personalization. What do you mean by that? I think it's the most important thing. If we look at everything else that we, you know, how we consume things, we want everyone is different, and technology allows you to really fine-tune, we call it almost hyper-personalization, fine-tune what, you, what you're receiving, but not, not through an algorithm which is like, oh, I've clicked on this, I've read this, therefore I'm going to be fed this same information. On the contrary, no, I'm, I want actually diverse views. I want the reverse to that. So, but I do want it on this theme. I don't want to be you know, receiving it on, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm interested in ESG, for example. I don't want yeah. um, whatever it may be. So the ability to actually find the themes and actually click on and say, I just want research on this and I want it collated, I want it um, as soon as it's written, um, and the ability to change that from time to time. Because you might be looking at, I don't know, you might be looking at the Noki, uh, one, you know, really, really and every, anything to do with Norway and Norgus Bank, one, one moment, and then suddenly go, oh, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm going back on Bank of Japan, it's suddenly become interesting. The Bank of Japan becoming interesting, blimey. I mean, <laughs> need a long memory for that one. <laughs> I, okay, so then, so 
how does this business evolve from here? I mean, a couple of a couple of things that have sort of sprung into my mind while we were just talking there is, uh, you know, one of them is um, this is a, I guess, a way to scrape alternative data, as everyone's calling it, you know, that non-formalized yep. data, isn't it? So it could be extending to that area. But I mean, how do you see the the service evolving? Well, I think from us, we're, we're really concentrating now. We're, we're um, talking to the, the, the big tier ones and the ones who've got this huge amount of research that they're pumping out. It's costing uh, an yeah. awful lot of money. They're under cost constraints, as we know, some of the institutions. And rather than take on more on this, we're saying, why don't you do more with what you've currently got? On the buy side, you touched on on your, your own background. You know, on the buy side, they're getting it from everyone. And the ability to... Um, you know, bring this down into manageable uh, bite-sized information that you can buy very quickly. For us, we don't tend to charge the buy side because, frankly, it's the sell side. They're already paying for it to a certain extent. And, and what we think is that that information should be provided in a better way and, and, and one that is sort of, um, you know, suiting su- suits their needs, really. So for me, the involvement of this from, from Lime Glass's point of view um, it, it's very clear we, we, we'd like to do, work with more um, sell-side tier one institutions uh, in order to get a, a better uh, reading experience for the buy side. But as a, as a general rule, and you touched on um, unstructured data, and there's obviously an awful lot of happening with AI and NLP, um, I think it's really interesting because you're getting metrics and you, therefore you can do all sorts of what-ifs and, and you can go into that world. So once you've got the metrics and the data, the raw data, you can tie it with data coming in from um, the trading side. Because I mean, the thing is, I mean, if, I mean you're thinking back to my days as a trader, um, you do, you know, the, key to, the key to success for anybody in, in markets is actually being able to act quicker you know, be first to the trade, isn't it? So I guess it's like, you know, there's this issue with, you know, the FX Global Code talking about, you know, information distribution, and it's got to be on a fair basis. But you still need to give people the some the opportunity to have an edge, don't you? I think I think there's be quicker, but there's be smarter as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Global Code is, you know, it's very clear, you know, it's got to be transparent. It's all about transparency. It's all about giving and communicating, you know, market color um, without compromising it and stuff. And and for me, you know, it comes back to this research, this this huge knowledge uh, base that's that's there and it is pump, being pumped out every minute. And the ability to make that more transparent or easier to find. I mean, it's transparent; it's there, but easier to find and faster to find is what it's all about, really, frankly. Just on a, on a sort of, I guess, a more general basis, just to close out, I mean, um, earlier in the podcast, I sort of mentioned that there have been a couple of errors in terms of the actual publishing of economic data. Um, what sort of framework do you think you'd need to put in place, if any at all, of course, to actually sort of deal with the fact that the, the underlying data, of which you can do nothing about, is actually wrong? Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> um, in my previous life, I was very, always, when we were creating data, that was always the, the biggest fear. At least in this one, I, you know, it's like we're highlighting it and not changing it. But I think it's a very good point. I think it comes back to everything else. If there's information out there that is not, you know, it, it, someone's trying to manipulate, maybe come back to the code or, or is wrong, 
what you want to be able to do is find the source, go there quickly and get and see what it is. So I'm very interested in one of, you know, in talking to uh, the central banks themselves and saying, look, we can atomize your, all, all your data, everything you come out with and making it clear and crystal, you know, crystal clear for, for the market participants. Because at the end of the day, everyone needs to understand and the, and the central banks are very, very keen, as you well know, to be very open and transparent about, you know, whether it's forward guidance or, or, or their views. And, and our approach, um, you know, with any research is all we want to do is be able for, you, for the user to shine a light on a specific sector very quickly and pull out paragraphs. Mm. You've got, you know, the context of the paragraph scheme, you've got to see the paragraph yeah. before and after and all the rest of it, of course. But you want to be, if you've got a thousand documents, um, you just want to find quickly the top 20 paragraphs that interest you. Yeah. Yeah. Without doubt. Brilliant. Um, we've run out of time, Roland, unfortunately, but um, uh, I wish you well with that. I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, certainly, as I say, as someone who occasionally had to wade through, you know, 100-page reports looking for one item um, back in the day. Um, anything that makes that job easier is, is going to get my vote, I have to say. Um, so uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, to listeners, thanks for listening um, and downloading us. And we'll be back again next week. So um, have a very good week, everybody. Thanks for listening.